I thought I would bring a bit of culture to Northland this morning. I'm going to teach you some Latin. And if you get it, you don't have to listen to the rest of the sermon because you've got the sermon. All right. Are you ready? Repeat after me. Quid. Quid. Then one other. Inferorum. Inferorum. Quid is a query. Inferorum means hell. So you just said, what the hell? <laughs> I did something similar in a church not too long ago, and an elderly lady, almost as old as I am, came out the back door, and she had a sour look on her face. And she said, Dr. Brown, that's the first time a preacher ever taught me to cuss in church. And then she smiled and started laughing, and she said, and I liked it <laughs> a lot. Quid in furorum. Let me read a familiar text to you. If you have your Bible or your device, you might want to read it along with me. I'm reading from the sixth chapter of Matthew, and I'm going to start at the 26th verse, where they said that Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Hey, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these will be yours as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In the Calibrate series, I have been asked to teach on the subject of stress. 
And if you think that I'm fixed and I'm going to tell you how to be fixed, you're out of your mind. You don't know nothing about stress. I'm a religious professional. I write religious books. I do religious broadcasts. I speak at religious conferences. In fact, I'm the most religious person that you know. Let me tell you something else. I'm one sin away from homelessness. I'm one failure away from total rejection. I am one heresy and that close to total shame. Keeps me awake at night. The stress. And it's from the Christian faith. You experience it too. I love the Puritans. They've been given a bum rap in our country. But they, and they didn't celebrate Christmas, but I'm not big on Christmas either. <laughs> I look like Santa Claus, and it's a disconnect for my grandchildren. But, but they knew how to party. They knew how to get down, and they understood God's grace. And if they saw all of the stuff that challenges you and gives you stress, from the Christian faith, they would be blown away. They wouldn't believe it. Did you spend time in the Word this morning? Do you tithe or do you rob God? Is your life counting for Jesus after all He's done for you? When was the last time you witnessed those people are going to hell and you don't give a rip. What about prayer and a season of prayer? You don't pray without ceasing. You don't even pray hardly once a day. How many times at church have you missed? What about those committees you were supposed to serve on and you haven't helped? And the poor you haven't fed? And the people you haven't cared about? And the pastor that you never lifted up? What about all that? <laughs> I wish you could stand where I'm standing and see you the way I see you. All over this room, people are wincing and going, oh my. I'm in trouble. I just manipulated you the way many in our faith do. You feel beat up and down and depressed. And then to add to it, the faith that was supposed to be good news, to relieve some of that makes it worse. And so you have every right to say to your unbelieving friends, you you don't know nothing about stress. I know stress. I'm here to help. Somebody, and you've probably seen it, sent me that old comedy bit by Bob Newhart where he plays a therapist or a psychiatrist and this young woman comes for help and he asks her what her issues are. And she says she has this neurotic, horrible, ongoing fear of being buried alive, alone, in a box. Can you help? And he said, yes, I can help. But first, we've got to discuss fees. 
she says, how much do you cost? And he says, $5 for five minutes, and it'll take five, less than five minutes. She says, really? He says, are you ready? And she says, yes. And he says, stop it. Just stop it. She says, what? And he says, just stop it. And she says, well, what if I don't stop it? Then he says, I'll bury you alone in a box alive. I'm here. And listen, if you don't have stress, you're an idiot. Pagans have stress too. We're the only people in the world who can say quid infrarorum because of him. Now, the pagans can say it. They know the words, but they don't know the melody. Let me, for a few moments, give you the melody. Stop it. First, Stop doing stuff that has already been done for you. Some of you, I suspect some here this morning, have seen me in a restaurant eating with friends or with family. And you felt sorry for the old guy, so you went up and paid my bill. And then you left the restaurant and the waitress or the waiter didn't have the foggiest idea who you were. That is such a kind and compassionate thing to do. Stop it. It drives me nuts because I want to do something. I want to play my part. I want to pay my own bill. And that's built into our DNA. I want to read you a prayer from a friend of mine. He's gay. Celibate. HIV positive. And he walks in some really dark places. I've written him almost weekly for years. And we've cried together and we've laughed together. I've only met him once. And I love him. I dedicated one of my books to him. His name is Jeff. And if you're straight, and I am, and you dedicate a book to somebody who's gay, you can lose your job if you're not really, really careful. So I said about Jeff, my gay friend, who makes me less cynical than I am. He was doing all right the other day. He had prayed. He seemed to be walking it better than sometimes. And he prayed this prayer. Dear God, I can't help myself. No matter how much I learn about grace, the gospel, and the work being finished, I can't help but think you must be pleased with me today because I prayed. You you must love me a little more because I'm thinking about you and trying to love my neighbor, and I'm living a little better. 
I can't untrain my brain that bases your love for me on my behavior. Because later today, when I feel a lustful thought or want to kill the person that annoys me so bad at work, I will turn away and I will hide. I will think your favor has turned to anger and I will wallow in despair. I will bury myself in alcohol or pornography to burn away the shame I feel at my imperfection and my inability to follow your law. I will feel so much unbearable pain at my failure because, because deep in my heart, I don't really believe the gospel. I don't really believe that you can love someone like me. What is it about me that makes you want to be with me, God? If it's not my goodness, why do you want to be with me forever? Why would your prayers be for me? Why would you prepare a place for me? I just don't get it. Why would you seek after me, welcome me, and invite me into your divine dance when I can't even walk, much less dance? What about me makes you want me when I'm not good or beautiful? What can I do or not do to make you love me more? If it's not about me, then what is it about? Oh, it's about you. I get it now. Please keep reminding me. Do you remember that old ragu spaghetti sauce commercial where the boy's talking to his father and the father is explaining about the sauce? And the boy asks, what about herbs? What about onions? What about this and that? And each time the father says, it's in there. It's in there. It's in there too. Listen to me. It's in there. You're forgiven. You don't have to beg God for that. You got to repent for your sake because that's the source of power. But you're forgiven. Deal with it. It's in there. God loves you. In fact, he likes you. What can you do to get him to like you more? Nothing. Can you be gooder? Read the Bible more? Pray more? No. Give it up. It's in there already. And you want to please God. Man, do I struggle. But listen to me. You never met a man who wants to please God more than I do. And I... And I say, what can I do to please you? And he says, child, I'm already pleased. It's in there. So when you signed on, you got all that. Quit trying to fix that which doesn't need to be fixed. Quit trying to do stuff that's already be done for you and for which you can take absolutely 
no credit whatsoever. So stop it and say out loud, and your friends will think you're smart and not know that you're cussing. Quid! Inferorum. <laughs> not only stop doing stuff that's already been done for you, stop worshiping a God who doesn't exist. As you go through this text, you get the sense when Jesus says, be calm. I've got your back. I've done all that's needful. And then in the text, Jesus keeps calling him Father. And when Jesus gave us the prayer that he said we ought to pray, he said, pray, holy, mighty God. He didn't say that. Dear Father, who art in heaven, good and kind and wise, who art in heaven, big and scary, and awesome, but God. Don't get me wrong, God's big. If you've never stood before God and been scared spitless, you're probably worshiping an idol. But, but he's your father. And if you've never stood before him after you screwed it up bad, lied, hurt people you loved, did things you thought you would never do, and been loved to your surprise, you're probably worshiping an idol. Jessica Thompson is a good friend of mine in California. We interviewed her last week on our talk show. She's written a book called How to Help Your Anxious Teen. And... Uh, it's a great book. We've, she is fun to be around, and she gets grace profoundly. But one of the things she said on the broadcast and in her book is that she heard a youth minister at a church actually say to the kids in that youth group, you are chosen. Now live your life so that if God should do choosing again, he would still choose you. And I go, what? That's crazy. And I'll tell you what that youth pastor is doing. He's getting power by lying. He's talking about a God who doesn't exist. And a lot of religious people do that, and it drives me nuts, makes me angry. And I'm already irritated about being old. Live my life so that if he chooses again, he, he would choose me. I don't know why he chose me in the first place. I wouldn't have. That is a constant source of amazement to me. And if it doesn't amaze you about you, not me, then you don't get it. And... If God was going to do it again, he doesn't have to do it again. Once was enough. But if he was going to do it again, he looked at my life, and I'm not being humble or authentic. I'm just telling you the truth because I'm old and I don't give a rip. If he, was, if he was going to do it again, he wouldn't make the same mistake twice. So in the morning, I wake up. I feel the stress. And I say, 
quid imperorum, and I feel better. Let me tell you something else that you ought to stop. You ought to stop putting less value on yourself than God puts on you. We, we do that. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus is making a statement that is astounding, and it is amazing. I remember Ethel Waters, and I was telling the congregation last night, that I want to hear her when I get to heaven sing, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And I couldn't think of the word sparrow. So I said, his eye is on the bird. <laughs> and it worked. But she would say often to people who were depressed and down, honey, God don't make no joke. Uh, junk. That's why we're pro-life. That's why you should not allow people to demean and disrespect you. You ought to tell them, I will not allow you to do that to a child of the king. Remember that. It releases the stress and it gives you the freedom to say, quit in form. And then, uh, one more thing. Stop believing the drivel, the lies that the world tells you. Jesus said, that's what the Gentiles do. I mean, if it's crazy. The hair restorer doesn't work. I've tried it. And I got a new car and people don't look up to me any more than they did. And they're and their lies about sexuality just blow my mind. What they think is important and what they think is unimportant. It is, well, when I was a pagan, I had better words for it. It's nonsense. Listen to what, it's, it leads to the dark, to brokenness, to lostness, to emptiness, to meaninglessness. It's from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other stuff will be yours. I don't know about you, but for years when I've read that, I've winced because of the layers that Christian leaders have put on me. Seek first the kingdom of God. That means go to church more and read the Bible more and pray more and work harder and stand for Jesus in the world. Make your life count. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I tried, and then I realized that's not what, it's not religious. When Jesus says seek the kingdom, he's talking about a party. He's talking about laughter. He's talking about freedom, and we sang about it this morning. He's talking about total forgiveness. He's talking about rejoicing in the reality that you belong, and you will belong for all of eternity. And the righteousness, it's not yours. Seek what? 
trying to be gooder. No, no, no. Seek his righteousness. It's his righteousness. I want you to know that when I stand before the throne of God, I'm pure, perfect, obedient, faithful. And you say, no, you're not. Yeah, I am. Because I have the clothing of the righteousness of Christ, which I have sought all my life. Okay, that's it. It's not going to fix you, but it'll help if you listen. One time, one time Napoleon said to the Secretary of State at the Vatican that he was going to destroy the church. The Secretary of State started giggling and said, you are, little man. You're going to try to do what priests and bishops and cardinals have tried to do for generations and have failed. I love that statement. Some things are immutable. They never change. Martha was in the kitchen. Somebody has to do that. And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Do your dishwashing sometimes when you're needed, but don't forget to go with Mary and listen to Jesus when you're stressful. He'll, he'll tell you what I taught you this morning. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And as a small thank you, Make sure you check out our free digital magazine. Just visit us at keylife.org slash digital magazine.